Hi, I'm Katie Steinberg, and this is Game Changers. Today's episode, we have Patrick Risch joining us. Uh, he is the director of the sports business program at Washington University in St. Louis. Patrick, how are you doing today? Good, Katie. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I know you're in uh, Fort Worth, so <laughs> not too Just far away. But... About 40 miles away. <laughs> Just missing you, but I appreciate you uh, joining us from the hotel lobby. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you what, they, I, I don't want to give them a plug, right? Because I didn't, you know, they didn't pay for it. But the hotel that I'm staying at, they're doing a very nice job here, and their their lobby is like a miniature football field. So this feels like a, a fun place. Uh, I tell you what, actually, this particular hotel, they're kind of an up and comer, right? They've been around for about 10, 15 years. They have locations all over the country, and I tell you what, every time I go, uh, just a fun place to go, and and they're. Their famous WXYZ Lounge. That's where I'm at right now Ooh. doing this interview. <laughs> I got to check that out. <laughs> Dang. Um, so, Patrick, uh, you are a kind of just a huge force in the sports business world. Um, so today I really wanted to um, – normally I have on, uh, you know – Esports, uh, people from esports, former NFL players, but today I wanted to kind of dive into sports business. Um, so I wanted to ask you uh, we've seen Formula One explode um, in the last couple of years, and a lot of people are attributing that to content. Um, episodic content media, Netflix, things like that. Um, what do you see taking place? as they win over new fans? Well, I think to take it more generally, any sports property that's going to do that sort of thing where you're utilizing social media to your advantage and creating content, not just content associated with that sport, but taking people behind the scenes. So what do the, what do these racers do to prepare? What are they doing when they're not at the track? We're seeing trends in other sports that when you utilize social media in this way, whether it's YouTube, TikTok, it's a way of connecting with younger fans. And that's really what all these properties want to do is connect with younger people. It's more about the people. So would you say like the bigger shift that's happening is related to expanding the product outside of the field um, and just kind of making sure people are honed in on the stories that are playing on and off the field as well? I think it's got to be a combination of all those things, right? Uh, and what's interesting, too, is you mentioned with, with, with that Formula One, it's a lot different than what's going on with NASCAR because NASCAR has seen some stagnation. Um, it will be interesting to see now after the whole Bubba Wallace uh, you know, with the social justice and now seeing uh, some people kind of pushed out of, of NASCAR, if you will, what's going to happen going forward with them. But in terms of Formula One, I think, because there is kind of an excitement, a speed to it that is a little bit different for American fans. Again, it goes back to can you leverage not only utilizing social media, YouTube, TikTok, whatever's out there to not only showcase what's going on with these uh, drivers on the track, but also what's going on behind the scenes off the track. Yeah. The people behind it. Um, you mentioned NASCAR uh, and kind of how NASCAR has faltered um, by not kind of doing what Formula One has been doing. Um, do you, would you say that their growth has, you know, kind of stumbled as a lack of fan engagement with the sport? 
You know, it's interesting. I go all the way back 20 years ago when NASCAR seemed to be at a peak, right? And I don't know whether it's just the fact that some of their most colorful drivers, um, you know, kind of went away. I think that's part of it. Um, I, I think part of it is there's been some changes at the track that have, if, because they want to make the sport safer, I think we all want to see that. But there's one, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a small faction of fans out there that maybe want to see things a little bit more crazy and reckless. Yeah, and honestly. That might, yeah, right. And that might be turning some folks off. So I think there's a lot of different factors at play that it just, I, I think really it's personality driven, not too unlike what we see with the NBA and some of these other sports leagues. And unfortunately, uh, you know, some of the some of the, the the beacons of NASCAR, as they slowly retired, you, you just don't see like Dan, Dale Earnhardt Jr. You can see he never amounted to what his father was, but he was still a very good driver. Uh, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, as these guys have retired, who are the the next wave? Um, NASCAR fans know who they are, but it's hard to get the rest of of America kind of to embrace them. And I think, again, the key is going to be finding creative ways on social to bring fans in, take them behind the scenes, take them into the lives of these drivers. That's maybe a way to ingratiate those people and therefore make the sport more popular. Would you say like they need their own Netflix series or like what are ways that you would do it? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think that you have to exhaust all possibilities. You really do. You have to um, you, know, you, you, you have to look at what, what are, don't be afraid to look at what other leagues are doing. Um, you know, and baseball, quite frankly, could learn from some of these other leagues as well. But I think basketball and football in particular are two sports that are really doing masterful jobs of leveraging all different media networks and realms to promote their sport. I think NASCAR, Formula One, baseball, all of them could learn from basketball and football. Absolutely. I mean, when you're going to a football game also, it's, you're not, if you think about who are, where you're seeing that content, it's normally from the fans, you know, um, you're normally, you're paying for your ticket. Yes, of course, because you love the team, but then it's also more so even just for the experience. You want to be a part of that. Like you almost have the, um, FOMO. And I feel like that's what NASCAR is missing. Like you want to be one of the people who are able to be filming <laughs> and doing you know, all that. The other thing that occurs to me is it's a time commitment too. I don't have a lot of experience going to these races, but I can tell you that when you go to an event like this, it is a major, major time investment, even more so than going to an NFL game, right? Where you, it's, it's if you're investing in the whole weekend, uh, you know, the race itself, race day on Sundays, it is, you know, four or five, maybe six hours. But if you're going for the entire weekend, it's it's a lot to do. So I think the whole weekend, yeah, yeah <laughs> that is that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> I, I think that's part of it. You know, it's not that necessarily it's the best parallel, but we look at sports like golf that have seen. I know the pandemic helped actually help the golf industry, but prior to that, we saw we saw rounds played go down. And I think part of it's just a simple time commitment issue. One hundred percent true. Um, in terms of golf, like people just don't really have the time to play as long as golf would take normally. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. I mean, especially when you're playing, you know, on a weekend, most cities and you're playing with casual golfers. I mean, you're talking five, six hours to play 18 holes of golf. So I think going back to NASCAR, you know, a six, seven hour day, how many people, unless you're a diehard fan, you've been doing it for years and years, how many new people are you going to bring in? 
probably not that many. So a bigger theme of what we're talking about is access. Um, so whether it's the sport, player, et cetera, um, and we've kind of delved into this, but how would you say access to social media um, has given power to the players? And then how should leagues and teams embrace this or support this? That's a really interesting question. It, it is, you know, everyone now is their own media outlet, right? Um, everybody can create their own, you know, uh, Instagram page, TikTok page, uh, Twitter, everything. So this is a good thing, but it also requires some discipline and control. And you can get yourself in hot water real quickly, uh, as we've seen many people do. Uh, what, what's what's the former coach there? Uh, 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 he said, "Don't don't press send, right? Don't press send." Oh. <laughs> Don't press in. God, what is his name? Uh, he used to coach for that. Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards. Yes. Uh, so, you know, these are good things. And again, I go back to basketball and football has really leveraged this to their advantage. And certainly basketball has encouraged their, uh, their athletes to, to be outspoken. I think that some sports like baseball, like hockey even, would love to see their athletes be more engaged on social media. But at the same time, there's that thin line. I recently moderated a panel discussion in St. Louis, and one of the participants was St. Louis Blues general manager, Doug Armstrong, who's highly respected in hockey circles as one of the best in the business. And he's like, well, look, I, I understand we're trying to market the sport, but you know, first things first, and that's what you're doing on the ice. So I don't want my guys spending all these hours uh, you know, creating this social media persona when some of that time should be spent working on their craft. So that, that is uh, an interesting challenge and, and that, that these players and teams and leagues have to wrestle with. I think it's all about perspective too, because then you do see, uh, you know, more, some players who are still incredible are highly active. So I think it really, it kind of depends the personality. You're like, you're not going to push them towards being outspoken if they're just not naturally, because <laughs> then that's way too much effort. But I think it's kind of finding that balance. Right, right, absolutely. What revenue streams do you see opening up, uh, such as like maybe NFT uh, in the future for sports business? Well, I, I would say the future is, is already here, right? Um, the, the product categories that have really opened up, we've seen gambling, we've seen NFT, we've seen crypto, uh, we've seen CBD. So, I mean, those, those four are product categories that prior to the pandemic were not really discussed, but I think partly out of necessity. Um, you know, it's funny and, and, and not to make light of it, but obviously the pandemic was was a horrible thing for, for so many. And yet in some ways it became, um, it gave some of these sports you know, organizations and corporate partnership people an avenue to say, look, these are all revenue sources that we can that we need. Uh, because these sources existed prior to the pandemic, but people are like, oh, shucks, maybe we shouldn't go down that road. Well, now that's out of there. And now all of those avenues and those lanes are wide open. Uh, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it with the kinds of deals that are being done. We're seeing it with some leagues like Major League Baseball now doing sleeve patches, which, you know, it was only a matter of time once the NBA broke that broke that uh, seal with the jersey patch that you're going to see this across all of the sports leagues. 
like you just mentioned, actually, uh, with sports betting. So we've seen sports betting uh, really go mainstream um, due to COVID just kind of in the last five years. Um, do you personally think that leagues should be embracing this? And if so, how? You know, if they didn't have the ability to monitor the, 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 the data and the trends, to kind of see if there's anything funny going on with the lines, because uh, obviously the integrity of the sport is, is crucial. So if, if they didn't have the technology and the ability to track and identify problematic situations, I would say, no, they got to be careful. However, you know, technology has had a lot of impact on a lot of different parts of the sports industry. And one particular area is in the uh, utilization of sports tech to monitor the betting lines to find trends that maybe look a little fishy. And now that that exists, now it's so much easier for any sports league to identify whether we've got a problem with point shaving, let's say. That's 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 the big fear, right? And I think that's part of the reason, uh, quite frankly, Katie, why now we're seeing Vegas currently with two professional sports teams, and perhaps by 2025 with a pro sports team in each of the five major sports leagues is easier to track odd uh, 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 betting data. So the team should be embracing it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In the yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they should be just because now it's easier to identify if there's problematic behavior. Obviously, the ability to uh, interact has opened up, uh, you know, real time and micro betting. Do you, um, do you foresee that continuously uh, being a, I guess, a, <laughs> a thing in sports? The term that I'm used to hearing there is, is in-game betting. So in-game betting actually uh, is, is part of the reason, again, we go back to technology. To even do in-game betting, the flow of information has to be fast, right? Um, you know, because the, the odds, you know, you need, you need the data, you need the odds to change quickly, you know, take golf. Someone steps up to the tee. What's the odds, you know, that they're going to hit the fairway? Once they get to their ball, what are the odds they're going to reach the green? And then once they reach the green, what are the odds they're going to make a birdie? You need to have information in very, very fast time. Baseball, same thing, right? Um, what are the odds this particular player is going to get a hit, uh, make an out, make a home run, whatever? Uh, In-game betting has been fueled by advances in sports technology. So that is absolutely where a lot of the engagement in sports is, is, is going to be fostered. Um, and, and the only concern that I have, you know, you asked me a little bit ago whether teams and leagues should embrace this. And I say, well, why not if it's, it's, if it's additional revenue and they can do it in a way to ensure that the integrity of the sport isn't jeopardized. My only concern is you don't want to create a, a, an environment where you have fans getting addicted to gaming. And I know that all these leagues, they have, you know, it, it, when they do these commercials, there's a little blurb that talks about, you know, a gambling hotline. But, but that, that is a concern that I have. But at the same time... Like a social conscience. <laughs> right. But, you know, at the same time, Europe has been doing this forever, right? Europe's been doing this with, with, with soccer. And, you know, I don't see any studies that have shown that European uh, consumers are, are, you know, all gambling de degenerates. So... Are European consumers different than American consumers, though? <laughs> well, I can't speak um, about the consumer side, but what I will say, since we've been talking about technology, 
and this was actually a question on my final exam about a week ago, is that um, a lot of the European sports clubs, in particular soccer, they are actually behind the times when it comes to the implementation of technology on the business side. So using technology to help with ticket pricing, ticket sales, finding better corporate matches between, uh, a, a, you know, say, a team like Manchester United and the, and the corporate community. They, they do lag behind. And that's kind of interesting as to why, because they could obviously, you know, hire some of the American companies that are out there to help them with this. But, but that is one area that they do lag behind. Do you participate personally in any sports betting? Very infrequently. Um, when I go to Vegas and if the Blues uh, happen to be playing a game, then <laughs> I bet on the Blues game. But but I, I'm, I'm not a, I, I, I guess I'm not much of a risk taker when it comes to that sort of thing. I, I, don't, I don't really take you as a huge risk taker for being honest. I, I, I enjoy, you know, I used, to go, risks. I used to go on spring break course, March Madness coincides with spring break. I used to go to Vegas during spring break just to go watch people bet because there's nothing like watching a March Madness game first, second round, and the point spreads like 20 points and some scrub off the bench, the game's a blowout, and whether or not some scrub off the bench makes a three-pointer at the buzzer basically is going to make half the room happy and half the room sad. So that's kind of cool. For the uh, UNC Duke game, I had uh, gone into Mizzen and Maine, <laughs> the men's clothing store that day, and um, I was helping one of my friends uh, pick out some clothes, <laughs> and I uh, was the, apparently the only one who bet that North Carolina would win, so I got a call that I won a $250 gift card, <laughs> but it's all men's clothing, <laughs> but it was just funny, where it's like, for example, I was, I was the... Uh, I don't want to say the least engaged. I was very excited, but <laughs> just for things like, yeah, just for things like that, where I was like, most people would be like thrilled. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but it just shows the faith. Um, so you're in Fort Worth right now. Uh, obviously, DFW Metroplex. Um, here in Dallas, I'm sure, as you know, and you can probably even get a feel for it right now, but uh, the Cowboys are more than a football team. Um, it's kind of more, it's like a way of life. It's a lifestyle. Um, and, you know, there's everything from golf courses to country clubs to, uh, gosh, restaurants, just everything. Um, do you see ancillary businesses like this as the future of sports business? Or is that just like more unique here in Dallas? No, I mean, you know, I don't know if this perfectly answers your question, but, but first of all, the Dallas area is probably one of the top five areas in the country, just in terms of the overall sports and entertainment value. Um, as we've seen with Jerry Jones uh, and his and his building, as we're seeing slowly but surely near American Airlines Center in downtown Dallas, and even out here in Fort Worth as they you know, just created this Dickies Arena, which I, you know, I haven't had a chance to look at it, but I've heard it's great inside. Um, being a, an owner of professional sports these days is about being a real estate developer too, because you can't use these facilities 365 days a year. But what you can do is you can build things around it that people will flock to. We're already seeing this in Arlington next to Globe Life Field. When, when I went there earlier this week on a tour of AT, AT&T Stadium, we saw Globe Life from the outside and we saw a live at Lowe's. We saw some other things that they're trying to develop trying to develop some housing. 
this is what it's all about. St. Louis, you've got Ballpark Village, which is now it's residential living, it's commercial uh, uh, offices, hotels. Chicago, you have Wrigleyville. You now have this, the, the Wrigleyville area has really built up even more. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's got a little bit more of an upscale feel to it, which the, the uh, diehard Wrigleys don't necessarily like. But it's all about how can you boost uh, the flow of visitors to an area year round. And, and you guys have that here. I haven't been to uh, the St. Louis um, area, as I was saying, but I can't wait to check that out. <laughs> We've seen a big union movement this year both in traditional business world uh, with Starbucks and then Amazon, and then in sports with the Major League Baseball lockout. Uh, what is your prediction for the next couple of years in sports labor? When you, when you look at this year's uh, baseball lockout, um, you know, it's, it's always hard to say that the players won because at the end of the day, uh, the owners have the teams and they have the wherewithal financially that if they wanted to just hold out, hold out, hold out, uh, they could. I do think that the players did win some some major concessions because I do think the owners did not want to continue to see uh, games lost, especially after uh, lost games during the pandemic. I, I do think that right now you have, if, if you just go, go across the four leagues that I know best, um, you know, roughly speaking, in every sport but baseball, you have roughly a 50-50 split of the revenues between the players and the owners. And I don't necessarily see that changing in any of those leagues. I think the baseball players union is the strongest and there's a lot of historical reasons for that. Um, those players get a little bit more than, than 50% of the pie. But, but again, again, it's hard to sit here. You sit here as a fan right. and, it, and it's the whole classic billionaires versus millionaires and you get frustrated. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it's all relative. And with respect to this labor, uh, recent labor strife in baseball, you know, 60, 70% of the players make minimum wage. So for them to try to, you know, push that minimum wage as high as they can, you have to understand that, that they're going to hold firm to try to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is, we're uh, ending our time here. So wanted to ask, um, a couple of questions that I just thought of. So what is your favorite, uh, what's your favorite sport? And I know your sports business, but let's go fan. What's your favorite sport? Um, what's your favorite sports team? And then what's your favorite sports, professional sports game you've ever been to? So, so there's a lot there. Um, so in terms of my, my favorite sports, and this all goes back to where I grew up near the Canadian border in upstate New York. Um, yeah, I grew up a hockey fan. Um, being almost Canadian, you kind of have to be a hockey fan. My father was a um, high school and college soccer coach, so I was kind of born into a soccer family. So um, so certainly hockey and soccer are my top sports. I'm assuming you played uh, high school soccer then? <laughs> I played high school soccer, yep. Uh, I'm actually in my high school Hall of Fame. Oh, uh, look at that. Recently, it was just recently inducted in 2020. So uh, it took them a while to, took them a while to, to, to decide whether I was worthy, but I finally got in. You made it. Um, I made it. Um, and with respect to my favorite team, right, you know, I would say it would be the St. Louis Blues. Um, yes, I like the Cardinals, but because I'm not as passionate about baseball because it's too slow for me. And this is what I worry about. If it's too slow for me and I'm in my 50s, how do young kids feel about baseball? Um and then in terms of my, my favorite sporting event, um, I mean, I've been to a lot of interesting sporting events and, and kind of big-time sporting events. 
um, you know, in my life, I've, I've had a chance, some of it as a fan, some of it I was working at events. So I've, I've worked three Super Bowls as an economic impact analyst, uh, Detroit, Dallas, and San Francisco, 06, 11, and 16. So both Detroit and Dallas were like basically frozen. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. Boy, that ice storm of 2011, still people talk about it here. Um, oh, man. I, I have had a chance to go to several Ryder Cups. So I, I think I'm actually wearing a Ryder Cup uh, jacket right now. So I've been been to the Ryder Cup in Detroit in 04, in Chicago in 12, and in, um, and in Minnesota in 16. So those were fun. Minnesota was also frozen. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But, you know, one of the ones that I, I kind of bookend is you talk about women's soccer and, and, the, and the success of the U.S. women's team. And one of the historic moments of uh, really the last 50 years in sports was when Brandy Chastain stripped off her, her shirt when she made the winning penalty kick. Um, I was at that match, but unfortunately, uh, I actually left before that moment occurred. Oh. Because I had a conference in San Diego, the match went into overtime, and I, you know, being a, a new young buck, and it was somebody I didn't want to break the interview, and I don't even think I had a sell, so I, I left during the first overtime, and of course the penalty kicks were at the end of the match. So, oh man, match, and then 16 years later in 2015, um, I had a chance to go to the Women's World Cup in Vancouver in the finals, where, um, gosh, I can't remember her name. Uh, but the young woman, uh, Carly Lloyd, scored, I believe, four goals in that particular uh, finals. And I had a chance to witness that in July of 2015. So I've, I've had been good fortune of seeing a lot of great sporting events. That's oh, so incredible. Gosh. Um, and you are uh, also, you run the sports business program um, at Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, cheesy question, but... What's your favorite part of teaching, teaching sports business? Well, I think really, quite frankly, uh, the reason why I do it as a full-time occupation is it's the mentorship uh, aspect of the opportunity. You know, uh, I really feel like when I went from my prior school to WashU St. Louis, which is a top 20 school nationally, I really felt like going from the minor leagues to the major leagues. And my network of connections just took off exponentially with, with who I got to meet, um, you know, parents of some of the kids, you know, where they work in sports. And so it's really helped me professionally, but helping these kids, you know, create opportunities. I, I'd like to think, you know, one, one thing that I will say is in part because of WashU's resources, I've had a chance to go to a lot of professional conferences and I can't believe uh, and I probably shouldn't share this because maybe some other universities will hear this and start sending their people. But some of these conferences I go to in the sports business journal circuit of conferences, there's hardly ever any academic people there. And that is such a swing and miss on their part, because, as you know, Katie, this is a relationship industry and it's a small industry. And this is where you meet people. I can't tell you since the beginning of this year, 2022, how many people from the sports industry have reached out to me via email. Hey, Patrick, you know, we're looking for somebody for this role. We're looking for somebody. So I've basically turned into like a career services. <laughs> You're like a staffing firm. <laughs> I am. And, and, and I welcome it. Um, our students are, are really talented. Uh, so talented that some of them sometimes will, when they graduate, 
um, they actually choose to start outside of the sports industry and will work for a big consulting firm or, you know, a JP Morgan or something like that. And some of them circle back eventually, some don't. But um, we now have over 100 alumni who work in the sports industry, and about 40 of them were placed in the seven years that I've, I've been with the university. So it's, uh, it's fun to be a big brother to all these, uh, to all these kids. You've made such a huge impact um, already. So <laughs> who knows what's going to happen in the next seven years? <laughs> no, you really don't. And that's kind of the fun thing about it is you really never know whether it's a case project, whether it's an internship, whether it's uh, a guest speaker, or as I say, placing some of these students. And, you know, with graduation coming up next week, that's always kind of a fun time. I, I don't go to graduation itself because it, to me, it's a little sad to see these kids go. <laughs> but, but what I do do is usually the two nights before graduation. So that'll be next. Uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, next week. Um, it's a big night for parents taking their kids out to various restaurants near the university. So I'll just kind of make my rounds and I'll go to these different places just to kind of make an appearance. And I love to have the parents come up and say, hey, thanks a lot for you know, what, what you've done. And that's, that's uh, a lot of fun. I have learned so much even from talking with you for the last 30 or 45 minutes. So um, I can't even imagine what all of your students have learned from you as well. <laughs> well, I appreciate being on today, Katie. And as I say, with, with what I do at Wash U, it really, I, I wish you could see the, the laundry list of guest speakers that we have joined. And, and quite frankly, I, I bring them in because I want to learn from them, but I know that my students learn from them too. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just feel so proud of what we've created there. Oh, that's amazing. Um, well, thank you so much for being on today. I, um, it was such a pleasure to be able to meet you and get to speak with you. And, um, I loved our conversation and, uh, I look forward to hopefully working with you in some way or another in the future, but um, wishing you all the best and thank you so much. <laughs> Katie, thanks a lot and have a good summer here in Dallas. Thank you.